Hello, church. Well, believe it or not, we have made it to the month of May. We have survived April in the Coronaverse. It's the first of the month, which means that we have a tradition. We're going to take communion together. So I know that you're not here. You're at your house. So take a pause and go get some bread. Go get some juice. Prepare a communion feast. And now you're back. To prepare our hearts, we're going to sing a really, really amazing couple of worship songs that bless my spirit. Would you stand up where you are? Put on a garment of praise, even if it's just a t-shirt. Let's sing some worship songs. Ready? Here we go. There is a king of glory, there is a God 
is the lion roaring, but he's also the lamb. Let's sing this old gospel song in preparation to take some communion together. It goes like this. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Thank you, worship team and church family. Uh, as strange as this might feel, uh, we're going to go, go into a time of communion. And I've realized something during this unique quarantine time that so much has to do with your perspective going into things. I was thinking about it. At first, I was a little frustrated about the fact that we couldn't all be together for communion. But then as I thought about it, I thought about through church history, how many times the church has gathered in homes and smaller settings to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so we're gonna actually do that. And so hopefully you've had a chance to grab uh, your elements already. If not, it's a great time to hit pause. 
But either way, we're going to take a, a moment just to remember. And as you probably know, if you've been a part of communion, this is for the believer. This is for us to celebrate what Jesus has done for us and to remember the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf. And starting with remembering Jesus's body, which was broken on our behalf. Thinking about that a little bit this week and just thinking about how miraculous it was, first of all, that God became flesh, came down in an earth suit, but then not only became flesh, but is willing to have his body broken on our behalf. Isaiah tells us that his body was broken beyond recognition. So we're going to take a moment just to remember that fact that his body was broken for us. So go ahead and take the cracker or whatever you have there at home as a representation of his body. But we're going to do this in remembrance of him. My daughter uh, Alexa gets a little bit squeamish at the sight of blood. And anytime we're getting a shot or anything at the doctor's office, it's a always a, a bit of a, a drama, a bit of an adventure. But I was thinking about that this week and how beautiful that is that the, the blood should cause us a little bit to be squeamish. Just thinking about God Almighty, the precious blood of Jesus being sacrificed on our behalf, being poured out through the hands of man as a sacrifice for our sins, our mistakes, so that we're washed completely clean. So we'll take a moment just to remember that, to remember the blood sacrifice that was spilled on our behalf. Let's go ahead and take that in remembrance of his blood. Jesus, we come before you right now and we are so thankful for what you did on our behalf. The fact that you would lay your life down for us, for our sin, our mistakes, for our guilt. God, you did that out of your huge love for us. And Lord, ah, we come before you now and we just celebrate. We celebrate the fact that you would do that for us. And Lord, we just pray that you would... um go before us and Lord, that our eyes would be fixed on you and we would remember, we would take time to remember throughout our days, our moments, who you are in our lives and the greatness of who you are. We love you and we praise these, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Church, wherever you are, stand up. Let's sing an anthem of gratitude and praise. Lift your voices. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh,
Hey, church family, we just wanted to update you just on a few things that are happening in our church community while we're not gathering, but still trying ways to connect. One of the things we wanted to make sure didn't slip past us was this next Thursday on May the 7th is the National Day of Prayer. And we're having opportunities, two actual, two different ways that we can uh, utilize that day. The first thing is at noon, kind of a lunch break, if you will. Uh, John Irwin's going to be leading, facilitating a Zoom gathering to spend time praying uh, for different things related to our country, to our church, to our families. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that. You can double check on the email that I sent out this week to see the specific Zoom time for that or connection point. Also at 8 p.m. that same evening, there's National Day of Prayers putting on a pretty uh, amazing event from what I've heard or what's been highlighted with great speakers, with worship leading. And so if you want to check that out, I'm also attaching that link to the service uh, for 8 p.m. on the 7th. Well, hey, ABF, one of my favorite things that we've been doing is we've been gathering on Zoom and we've been having a really fun time. And there is a group for everyone. So, hey, I know uh, in the slide, you can see all the different uh, groups that are getting together. One that's coming up this Tuesday is for those young at heart seniors. It's this Tuesday at one o'clock. And so make sure you jump on and see your friends. It's such a great time to connect because we've got to stay in community during this season. I've been asked quite a bit of ways that we can be involved in serving, and we continue to work with the Caneo Valley Meal Program. We have the once a month time that we typically serve a meal. Well, we've already got that in place where we have lunches provided for that day. But if you're interested at all in continuing to help people specifically impacted by this in Caneo Valley, uh, over at Holy Trinity Church in Thousand Oaks, they have a drop-off point between 1 and 2 p.m. Really, any day of the week, you can stop by with canned foods, fresh foods, whatever you're able to drop off, they could definitely utilize. As you can imagine, the the needs are uh, expanded during this stretch. Speaking of needs, we're so grateful for just the faithfulness and giving uh, from our church body during this stretch. And just a quick reminder of ways that you can continue to give to support the ministry of this church. It can either be online, and when I say online, that might be through our church app or through our website. And we also have just traditionally that you're able to mail in a check to the church uh, during the week. We've uh, seen this past week, just neat ways that that uh, the resources of, of this church have been able to expand outside of the walls of this church. I was getting an update from our missions committee. We were able to send and help out a number of our missionaries, one specifically that you may be familiar with. His name's Godfrey, who ministers in Uganda. And we were able to send $1,000 to help out over 102 families in the area there uh, with food for this coming month. Also with Zach and Kayla, who are missionaries working with Syrian refugees, that $1,000 was able to meet needs for over 140 families. We also blessed and helped uh, Mez, who's our missionary contact in Ethiopia, and he's been able to expand those resources as well. And so just wanting to make sure that we know that we're through this time trying to reach out and extend the love of Jesus Christ by meeting tangible ways around the world. 
Hey kids, I hope you've been watching those Bible story videos because I sure have and they are so much fun. Well, the month of May, we have new themes and for our little biddies, our theme is how much God loves you. And if you're an elementary uh, student, the theme is determination. And man, we need some determination right now. So I hope you will check out those. And I thought I'd give you a little push to making sure you're completing your God time cards. So kids, make sure you get into those resources that I'm sending out. And let me just say, if you complete the God time cards, I'm going to stop by your home and I'm going to drop a prize off on your doorstep. So let me know when you complete those God time cards. Hey dads, and just a reminder, if you're not aware of this, next Sunday is Mother's Day. So there's your nice reminder for you. And the, one of the ways that we wanna stay connected and engaged as a church is we would love to have you take a few minutes with one of your kids or all of your kids, highlighting just some of the things that you're thankful about your mom for. If you wouldn't mind doing that, uh, Adrian's going to be sending you some details about that in your email. So make sure you check your email for specifics, but we'd love to have that sent into us. Landscape uh, to Adrian would be wonderful. Well, hey, this is always the fun time in our service where we get to see what Josh and Chris are up to this week in their shenanigans with the quarantine raffle. Hola, amigos. It is raffle day here at the church, and you know what that means. It's spin the wheel day! Time to spin the wheel and see what Neva Rodi is eating for dinner tonight. Trace Dos Uno! Mexican food! Arriba! Vamanos, my friends! La cucaracha! La cucaracha! Stop to think what that song's actually about? Uh, not at all. Have you? No. La Cucaracha! La Cucaracha! Ay! Ay, 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 ay! All right, we're here at Neva's house. Let's go! Doorbell rung. <laughs> yeah, baby! Neva! Hello! Hello, hello! Congratulations! You are the winner of the ABF raffle, and you've got some delicious Mexican food here for you. Woo! Really good. We have a couple of questions for you, though. The first question, what is your favorite thing to do during quarantine so far? Probably working puzzles and reading, maybe. Uh, excellent, excellent. Uh, how do you like to celebrate Cinco de Mayo? I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, most can important you, question. Most important question. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us the deep meaning behind the song La Cucaracha? La Cucaracha! La Cucaracha! La Cucaracha! La Cucaracha! To a hard day's work. Cheers. Cheers, baby. Mi amigo. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good, man. Till next time. See ya. Bye. Hola. Hi, ABF family. I am so happy to be here tonight. The last time I preached was like two months ago, live in this room, and I can see you in your couches and your chairs, and you're asking, what's about this uh, Dodger jersey? Well, Josh has been all things Chicago, the Bears, the Cubs, etc. I'm telling you, 
Well, I'm all about this. You, You see this, that 22? That's the over or under on how many minutes this sermon is gonna go. Well, folks, this morning, we're going to look at our next chapter in 2 Peter chapter two. This is the third part of our series on while we wait. And I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever bought something, you thought it was real, you thought it was genuine, and then you found out it was a fake? Uh, The Wall Street Journal a few years ago ran this article about people who were buying Stradivarius violins. You can see them in the picture up there. They thought they had found an original only to be duped. In fact, we know historically there hasn't been a genuine Stradivarius found since the early 1900s. But this one is one that some of you have been duped on, right? How many of you have ever bought a genuine fake Rolex watch. Yeah, maybe on a previous trip to another country, the guy opens up his jacket and there they are, and you pick one for 20 bucks, and it looks fantastic. I mean, it looks perfect, and it even runs for like all of three weeks. And even though it looks good on the outside, when you look at the inside, it's just junk. Now, quite frankly, how does that relate to our message today? Our text is gonna look at fake Christianity, AKA false teachers. They sound good on face value, but once you take a closer look and you look deeply at their theology, though it looks okay on the outside, when you look a little closer, it falls apart like a fake watch. So we're gonna look at what do they look like, how do they operate, And what should our response be today? Well, let's jump in. Let's look at their portrait, and we need to be aware of their falsehood. Look at verse one. And I'm gonna give you five observations about this kind of false teaching that we may come in touch with in our lives. First of all, their propensity. This is nothing new. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, this is a parallel passage to the entire book of Jude, and you can compare these two sections. Now, this has been around a long time. Paul writes about this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. Let's look at it together. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. The second observation, their perversion They're gonna distort the truth. Look at the end of verse one, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So what are they trying to do? Often, it's really quite subtle. In fact, what they try to do is kind of mix and match. There's a little compromise here, a little compromise there, a little false gospel here. And so sometimes it's very convincing, like Satan using scripture in his temptation of Jesus. Or they want to mix and match a little Jesus, a little Eastern mysticism, a little New Age spirituality, uh, a bit of cultural tolerance, and a little of, hey, whatever I want. And that is like being a frog in the proverbial kettle. Let me give you an example. And so you've heard of some of these, right? When anybody starts with, wouldn't we all agree, and they use that very kind of condescending, you know, sarcastic voice, kind of smug, or, hey, always, uh, always lead to heaven, uh, right? I mean, all religions will eventually get us there. 
hey, Jesus was a good man, but like, he wasn't really God, was he? Or, hey, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as, what, fill in the blank, your favorite dictator, your favorite mass murderer. You know, nice comparison, right? Uh, hey, Jesus is cool, but that Old Testament God, isn't he kind of cranky and, and angry and, and vengeful? Here's a big one. God wants me to be happy, right? Or aren't we just supposed to love everybody and its kissing cousin is, hey, shouldn't we be tolerant of everybody's beliefs? We, we shouldn't offend anybody, right? And this one is the most insidious. When they say this with this deep conviction, hey, I know the Bible says that, but isn't it just kind of cultural? Like, do we really have to follow that? And so I want to make a shameless plug. This is why you should come to our established class this fall. This is where we look at some of these hot topics. In fact, if you want to be reminded, we just did an entire series called Asking for a Friend in January that we look at some of these kind of assumptions. Now, what is their plan? Number three, their plan is to deny who Jesus is. Even denying the master, it says at the end of verse one, even denying the master who bought them, which is a redemption term from the slave market, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. See, their ultimate failure is the lack of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject ultimately his work on the cross. False teachers will almost certainly begin messing with historic Christology and soteriology. They will either deny the humanity of Jesus or they'll deny the deity of Jesus or get those things mixed up. And then on the salvation side, usually it's a works or in man-made, I can do it, I can work harder kind of salvation. But Jesus says that your life was bought for a price and that's the price of Christ's blood on the cross. So ultimately it says here in the scriptures that he's your Lord, he's your master. The emphasis isn't he's your best friend. It's not, he's not your homeboy. Uh, in fact, we see that people kind of take Jesus not too seriously. These next few verses don't treat that very well. In fact, it doesn't end well for them. Number four characteristic is their popularity. They preach this false mix and match gospel. Look at verse two, and I'm gonna give you its appeal. I'm gonna give you its allure, and then I'll give you its approach. The appeal, it says, look at this, verse two, many will follow. When we mix and match true Christianity with kind of secular philosophies, this pick and choose spirituality really appeals to a lot of people. It's like we approach the Bible like a salad bar. Yeah, I'm going for the, the hard-boiled eggs. I like the mushrooms. I like the olives. Do not give me those carrots, and we are not going for those beets. And so we kind of have a guilt-free spiritual diet. You can choose what you want to believe. That's not what the scripture says. Check out the scripture on the screen. Matthew 7, 13. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5 says, many will be deceived in these last days. So we can see the appeal how about its allure? What is the allure of this kind of teaching? Well, it says because of their sensuality. It appeals to the masses because it offers a salvation sensuality combo meal. I guess you can have your cake and eat it too. And the problem is we cheapen God's grace by believing 
in Jesus, but not the lifestyle of discipleship that he's called us to. We are saved by grace. We live by grace, but there is a balance in that. And so we've been brainwashed into thinking these kinds of things, for instance. And by the way, I know this is hard teaching for us to hear, but people, we need to know that this is the kind of prevalent thinking in our culture. Here's a few of those. For instance, we rationalize sex before marriage because we need to know if we're compatible. Or maybe we give up on marriage because we shouldn't have to be working that hard on this thing, should we? Or, hey, we're gonna cheat on our spouse because we deserve to be happy. Or lastly, hey, don't be a prude, dude. Man, a little porn won't hurt your marriage. Now, anecdotally, I've talked to some counselors and they said, for instance, that this, this porn addiction thing is going through the roof during our quarantine. Thirdly, the approach. And because of them, look at the end of verse two, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Well, how is truth blasphemed? It's when we redefine words like salvation and heaven and hell and Jesus. One pastor put it this way. In the end, they use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. Did you catch that? They use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. So here's a big word for you, antinomianism. This is the idea that it's all about grace and love and there's no counterbalance. There's no gospel accountability. There's not grace and truth or truth and love. It's all love, all grace. And if you go down that theological trail, that's gonna lead to moral bankruptcy. And ultimately, when our behavior becomes irreconcilable with historic biblical authority, you're getting trouble. Number five, their plot they exploit you and disguise their motives, verse three. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The currency of our culture is the elimination of God in the marketplace of ideas. God becomes the whipping boy for all things evil, and then we shirk our human responsibility for our own choices. And the ultimate end game is that money, sex, and power always sells. And so one of the popular examples, which most of us don't buy into, is this idea of prosperity theology. The luxurious lifestyle of faith healers like Benny Hinn, and they haven't really fooled us. We see that greed. However, we sometimes believe that, that well, hey, we're godly, and so God will bless us, maybe not with finances, but then we should never have to suffer. No, that's part of God's refining process as well. We don't get a trial-free life. In contrast, Paul says he didn't come with those kind of flattering words. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Or 1 Corinthians 2, 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So what's their punishment? Be assured of their fate. Look at verses three through 10 and all describes that. First of all, we see at the end of verse three, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Now you gotta be saying, my goodness, John, Peter seems so harsh here. Why is he so direct in this passage? Well, I think it's because what you eat spiritually really does matter. What you eat can kill you. It reminds me of the, the farmer who had a mule and the oat costs of feeding that mule were 
astronomical. And she said, I think I'm just going to work a little filler, a little sawdust filler in with his oats. He'll never know the difference. And of course, the, the mule didn't know the difference. He just ate till he was full. And over time, that poor mule died. And in fact, that practice killed the animal. False truth may be appetizing to us for a time, but my friends, it's going to kill you spiritually if you buy into it. Now, this is nothing new. Moses warned Israel about how to recognize false teachers in Deuteronomy 13. Isaiah and Jeremiah did the same thing. And the bottom line, we always have known that the wages of sin is death. And that's a payday that's going to come someday. Now, again, for those of you who are saying, man, this seems a little strident. Is God like that fully? Well, that's because we've got to look at not only his holiness, but his love. This passage is talking about his holiness. But in just a couple of weeks, Pastor Scott will be sharing this verse from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Remember the prodigal son? God was represented by the father who patiently waited for his son to come to his senses and in fact embraced him and ran towards him when he came home. And that's what our father does with us as he waits patiently for us when we wander theologically and we get all confused. So this transition now is he gives, he's gonna give us three examples of the consequences of not following God's plan. After numerous chances, he'll give you three examples. Here's the first one, fallen angels. Look at verse four. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. I'm gonna let Scott preach about that next week. So I'm gonna just keep on moving. But we do see that in Genesis six and also the fall of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. Now, if you read that, you notice that in the English, that's one long sentence. Apparently, Peter followed Paul's practice of long, run-on sentences. And he gets so excited, he kind of forgets to take a breath. He doesn't want to lose his train of thought. Here's what he essentially is saying. False teachers are going to find the same outcome as fallen angels did. They're not going to be spared, and there's consequences for doing that kind of teaching. Now, this idea of this fallen angel thing we see a little bit of that in Ephesians 6, 6 in that kind of spiritual warfare discussion that we've had in the past. Next, the people in Noah's time. Look at verse 5. Five, if he did not spare the ancient world. Again, you can see that in Genesis 6, verses 5 to 13. These, uh, is, uh, this is a reference to the people living in Noah's day. Now, remember the context. Noah's building this ark with his boys and it takes them 120 years. And he's preaching to this uh, audience, and they're thinking he's nuts. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. The third example is the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6. Again, you can see the full story in Genesis 19, verses uh, 1 to 19. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what it is going to happen to the ungodly. Wow, a, a graphic description of the end result for people who ultimately reject God. How did that Sodom and Gomorrah you know, get blown up? Some people think it was a meteor. We don't know, but he did deliver what he said he would do. Now, here's the good news. Our passport we need to be aligned with the faithful. 
And now he's gonna give us three examples of preservation and protection. The first is the preservation of Noah in verse five. But he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah preached for 120 years, as I said, and the reason he was saved, he got on the boat that God commanded him to build. Now, I know it says that he was righteous, but what saved him is because of where he was, not who he was. Did you get that? He was saved because he got on the boat. If the people in the town would have got on the boat, they would have been saved, but they rejected the message consistently. And so he obeyed God even to know what rain was. And God declared a promise to he and his family, and he listened. Secondly, we see the protection of Lot, verses seven and eight. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented by, in his righteousness soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. What did Lot do to deserve being saved? He ran for his life and didn't look back. That's what he did. And so if we follow Lot's example, that should be an encouragement to us because, man, that's a low bar because we know that he wasn't saved because of his perfection. If you read a little bit more about Lot, he was one messed up dude. In fact, both Noah and Lot failed miserably uh, when they drank a little too much and uh, both escaped the promised judgment because they did what God asked them to do. And now here's our promise, the promise for the godly, verses nine and 10. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, like quarantining for six weeks, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Here's the takeaway principle for this entire message. God always rescues the godly before he ruins the wicked. We see that in the Passover, don't we, in Exodus. God loves you enough to warn you, friends. He is in the rescue business. He's gonna do it again at the end of the age before the great tribulation. He's gonna rescue God's elect. Now, there's some differences of opinion about when and how far in that tribulation he's gonna rescue, and we've talked about those, so I won't cover that. But God, my friends, is in the rescue business. I don't know if you remember this, but um, we kind of celebrated an anniversary uh, a few weeks ago. On April 17th, 1970, three astronauts from Apollo 13 fell safely into the ocean. It was immortalized by a great film called Apollo 13, and when they were rescued, one of the famous lines from the movie and the intensity of this movie is what one of the NASA guys said, this could be the worst disaster NASA has ever experienced. But Gene Krantz, the lead flight director at Mission Control replied, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. ABF, this is our finest hour right now. The rescue we're involved in is dramatically different than 50 years ago. It's our battle against an invisible virus, the shutdown of our economy, the fear, anxiety, and panic that's created by this pandemic. The COVID-19 crisis 
has created an enormous amount of pain and suffering and uncertainty for people of all ages. We need to be sincerely empathetic and we gotta listen without judgment. And we gotta empathize with those feelings. But at the same time, friends, today you are a purveyor of God's hope. God is in the rescue business. ABF, this is our finest hour. We've got the greatest news of the gospel. Let's go and rescue some people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you hear us and that you're listening to us. Lord, help us to be a beacon of hope and light as we rescue people who are caught in a world that confuses them confounds them, and ultimately will condemn them. Lord, they need you. Would you help us be part of the rescue team? In Jesus' name, amen. Just a word And suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak And freedom reigns There is hope In every single word you say I don't wanna miss one word you speak Cause everything you say
Thank you, friends, for being here today. And just as a reminder, since this was our communion Sunday, as is our habit, every time we celebrate communion on your way out of our auditorium, you put money or checks into our benevolent fund. Of course, you could mail those in. Someone asked me the other day, what is the benevolent fund? What it is is our way of reaching people who have been hurting financially, and they're both people inside and outside of our church. And so if you'd give graciously toward that, we would love that as you leave today. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.